Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. And I just have to say, it's such an honor to get to share what God's been putting on my heart this week. And now we're going to dive right in today. Today, we're starting a new series called There Is One. There is one. And I simply want to start by sharing the heart behind those three words. The first word is there. And I honestly don't have much to say about that word. It's just kind of there. And if I say, though, that there is, that word is takes on a different importance and it communicates something. It communicates good news. It communicates hope. It communicates accessibility. What we're actually saying is there is someone who loves you. There is somebody who cares for you. There is somebody who sees you. There is a hope. There is a power. There is a plan for your life. There is somebody who's holding all of this together, even though sometimes in life it feels like everything's falling apart. And so if you're sitting here and you're asking questions, is God big enough and is God strong enough for whatever it is that you're facing, I'm here to tell you, he is, he is. And then if you say there is one, that word one means a couple things. First, it means that something is singular, it's solo. It also means that something is first, it's foremost, it's primary. So what we're saying is that our God is unrivaled. Our God is unmatched. He is set apart. He is holy. There is no one like our God. There is only one place that a soul can find its peace. There is only one source that can truly satisfy. There is one name that is above every name, and that name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. There is one. And there is one message that we preach. You know, there's this pastor named Eugene Peterson, and he's best known for uh, writing the message translation of the Bible. And I absolutely adore his work. He did, yeah, he's awesome. But anyway, he passed away a couple years back, and at the celebration of life, his son got up, and he was talking to the congregants from his church, and he said, you know, my dad fooled all of you. He said, for 30 years now, every week, he made you think that you were hearing something new, but the reality is all that he ever had was one message. And this was his message right here. He said, God loves you. He's for you. He's coming after you. And he is relentless. God is for you. He's coming after you and he is relentless. So if you're new to the faith, if you're just joining us and you're checking Jesus out, even from a distance, first of all, welcome. And second of all, there's one thing I want you to know. God loves you. He's for you. He's coming after you, and his love is relentless. And on the other side of the spectrum, if you've been here for a bit, if you're a veteran of the faith, if you've forgotten more about the Bible than most people would ever know, if you could get up here on this stage and teach a class on biblical hermeneutics and homiletics, if you even know what hermeneutics and homiletics are, or let me put it for you this way, if you've been here since Grant had a mullet, anybody in here remember that thing? This is the one thing I want you to know. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And his love is relentless. There's only one message that we get to preach. If every message isn't just like saturated with that, I think that we're missing the essence of what we're here to do. And in Ephesians 2, the apostle Paul is writing the church of Ephesus. And he says in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Then he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's 
one message that we preach and there's one God who is over all and through all and in all, but we're not just called to belief in that one God, we're called to oneness in God. You see, that word one is actually used seven times in that scripture. I'm gonna read it again and you can count to make sure that I'm not lying to you, but it says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And that number seven is really important because in scripture, seven is God's number. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. So God's saying, not only are we called to be one, we're called to be perfectly one. We're called to be completely one and we're called to be unified in God. There's something about knowing God's goodness, knowing God's love and actually experiencing the joy that he's given us that's actually meant to bind and knit us together as a people of God and move us in the direction of him. So yeah, we're not just called to be one, we're called to be completely one. We're called to be unified. But in this series, I want you to know that unified does not mean that we are called to be uniform. And being called to oneness is not the same thing as being called to sameness. God actually created us to be different. He celebrates our diversity. But what oneness means is that we get to agree collectively that what we share in Christ is greater than anything that we differ on. Like anything that might divide us or we might put up walls in between us, God's love is bigger. Amen? And because that's true, as one church, we get to move together in the direction of the one God who's able to do far and above anything that we could ever ask or think or imagine. So as we get ready to dive into this series, there is one. I just love the opportunity to pause and pray for us. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me, Holy Spirit, we just recognize your presence here. God, we say, would you have your way, God, in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, God, in our church, in our community, God, in our country, in the world. God, would you move in power? Would you allow us to be more in tune with your spirit? God, would you soften our hearts? God, I can't pray this enough times. I'm so disinterested in information about you. God, I want to be transformed by you. So God, we pray not just for something we can put in our pocket, but we pray for an encounter with you that leaves us changed leaves us looking more like you, loving more like you, and reflecting more of you to the world. God, that's our prayer. God, we just desire to be a church that reflects you in such a powerful way to the world. God, you are so good to us. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see what you have, and give us the humility and boldness to take it and move it into action. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. So today I want to talk to you about the idea. We're in a series called There Is One, and today we're talking about the idea that there is one love. There is one love. So I want you to turn to your neighbor. Just tell them there is one love. You don't have to know what it means. Just tell them there is one love. If you're online, just go ahead and drop that in the chat. There is one love. We'll get there. But anyway, this week... I saw a neon sign and all that it said was, all you need is love. And I got me singing this old hymn that Reverend Paul McCartney wrote. <laughs> and I might be able to use a little help from my friends on this one, but I was singing along with it. I said, all you need is love, love. Love is all you need. Gosh, you guys, I'm not dissing the other services, but that was beautiful what we shared here. Man. 
guys are some good singers. But I thought, man, what a beautiful sentiment, you know? You know, all we need is love. Love is, love is all we need. I mean, that's something for the whole family we can agree on, you know? It's like love, yes, love. The world needs more love. Like, sign me up for that. I agree with it. Shout it from the rooftops, amen. Like, you talked, like, you talked me into it. That's all it took. All you need is love. And yet the only problem is that everyone means something slightly different when they say the word love. And so we agree on the fact that the world needs love, but we disagree sometimes on what that love is supposed to look like in action and what that love means for us and what that love means for the world. And so last week I was in small group and uh, we decided to go around and we were sharing about the first time that we ever said, I love you to our spouses. And it was fun hearing those stories, man, because that's, that's a vulnerable moment. That's a beautiful like, time when you actually get to say, like, I, I love you for the first time. So it was, it was cute and it was sweet and it was all the things that you would imagine it would be. But when we got done sharing, just because I was feeling a, a little bit, I, I don't know, like just forward. And I'm just like, you know, like we just had that moment that we shared together. But I have a different question for you. I actually want to ask a follow up question, which is what were you actually trying to communicate with those words? Like, 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 what did those words mean to you? What were you trying to say to that other person that you'd never said before? Like, I get that you said, I love you, but what were you trying to share your heart for them? Because here's the thing, friends, like I love pizza. Anybody in here, pizza lover? You know, like pizza's great. Like I love the movie Anchorman, anybody? Sticking on that one for a second, I love Lamp. You know, that was a niche thing. Somebody will get it. But I love coffee and I love fresh socks and I love the cold side of the pillow when you flip it at night. And I love a lot of things. I use that word love very liberally. And it's that same you or that same word that I use to describe the fact that I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. And it's that same word that I use to describe the fact that I love God. I love Jesus. And so needless to say, this word is doing a lot of heavy lifting for me. I mean, it's the word that I use to describe the feeling that I have towards so much, all the way from pizza to God. You know, this is a broad spectrum. Talk about versatility. This word love is working overtime in my life. It's doing a lot of things for me. So I was just saying, like, I get that you said I love you, but what were you really trying to say? Like, what did you mean by those words? And it was fascinating because everyone had a slightly different answer. So one person said, you know, I like you wasn't really communicating the, the depth of what I was feeling for that other person anymore. Maybe you've been in one of these situations before where you said, I like you. And then you say, you know, I, I really like you. And then pretty soon it's, you know, I really, 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 really like you. But still that no matter how many reallys you add on it, it still lacks the gravity of what you're trying to communicate to the other person. So what this person was saying is, I more than like you, I love you. Next person starts to talk and they say, you know, what I was trying to communicate is that uh, the, the actual commitment level that I had towards them was growing. So they're saying, I, I love you, I'm committed to this. You know, the next person said, you know, what they were communicating is that they were feeling something that they'd never felt before. And they were excited about it. They wanted the other person to know. They're saying, listen, I, I love you. I'm feeling things I've never felt before towards anybody. I, I love you. And when it was my turn to share, and for the record, uh, my wife Kristen said at first, she's the brave one, I'm the chicken, just trying to keep it real. <laughs> but when I finally did tell 
Kristen, that I loved her. What I was saying is I'm not going anywhere. After thinking about it, I was just like, you know what I was really trying to say was, I'm not just willing, I want to move towards you when things get tough and not away. Well, what I was saying is I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to sacrifice for us. I'm willing to sacrifice for this. Like, I love you. I'm, I'm going to be here. And as each person shared, it's as if we just started to get a little bit more of the fullness of what love really is. And there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter in scripture. And believe me, friends, I tried to avoid this one. That's why it's not up on the screens. It was a late edition. But I just realized at some point there's no place in scripture that gives a more complete, more clear, more beautiful, and more just like rich descriptor of what love is. And so even if you've heard this a million times, I need you to know like there's an opportunity for us to go deeper here. I want to invite you to listen like this is the first time you've heard this. Like this is what love is right here in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Love's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. And I love these words because they so beautifully describe so many attributes of love. And if you really think about it, that's what this scripture's about. Like this is talking about what love does. This is what love, perfect love from God looks like. And that's really, really important to understand what love does, but just as important as understanding what love does. As Christians, we actually need to understand who love is because in 1 John 4, it says, but anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And if God is love, that means that Jesus is the personification of love. And so according to the Bible, it's not just a feeling, love is a person. Like love is made perfect. If you want the perfect descriptor, if you want to actually have a complete understanding of love in action, look no further than the per person of Jesus. God is love, Jesus is God, Jesus is the personification of God. And here's why that matters, friends. It matters because people's lives aren't changed when they meet a definition. People's lives are changed when they meet the person of Jesus, amen? And I found that most people these days are more interested in correcting people than loving people. Most people are more interested in trying to win them over to their side of the argument as opposed to showing people love. And here's the problem with that. People's lives don't get changed when they get told that they're wrong. People's lives get changed when they get shown that they're loved. And here's how I know that. I still haven't heard a single salvation story. You can talk to me afterwards if you've heard this one. I haven't heard it though. The salvation story that goes, you know, I was just talking to this person and they told me how infinitely wrong I was and how right they were. And all of a sudden I had this breakthrough moment and I realized that God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me and now I'm saved. <laughs> have you heard that story? Because I certainly have not. But here's the story that I hear all the time. It was that I was lost and I was broken and I was hurting. I felt like I was nothing. And yet in my searching and in my brokenness, I had a friend who introduced me to the person of Jesus. And when I met Jesus, everything changed because Jesus didn't tell me I was wrong. He told me that I could be made righteous. And Jesus wasn't worried about my past. He said, I have plans for your future. 
Come on, church, he didn't say that he was mad. He said that he was madly in love with me. And it was that love that lifted me up out of the things that I was stuck in. It was that love that changed my heart and changed my mind and changed my trajectory and changed my eternity. Friends, it wasn't because I met somebody who was right. It was because I met somebody who was love and his name was Jesus. That's how salvation happens. It's not when somebody realizes they were wrong. It's when somebody realized that even in their wrongness, even in their sin, even in their distance that they tried to create, there was a love that was always pointed in their direction, that was unconditional and it was covering and it was inviting and it's always open-handed. Friends, love is who Jesus is and it is what Jesus does. And we all know that what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I couldn't help myself. I had to put one more of those in there. But we tend to have different ideas when it comes to two topics, what love looks like in action and where we should start. And I wanna spend the rest of our time today talking about four places that we could start. You know, some people, they wanna start by talking about loving the world. They, they wanna talk about loving the world and the people who say that, they, they say we need to be fighting for justice. Like love is about protecting human rights and if that is you, I wanna say yes. Like, yes and amen. Like, like, let's do this together. I could preach a whole series on how we could love the world and about how it's not enough to tell the world that God loves them. We actually have to do the work of loving the people of the world. We have to move towards the problems that we see, not just identify them. And we actually have to give of ourselves because love gives. You know, the most famous verse in the Bible says this, for God so loved the world that he, come on, everybody, gave. I was just looking for gave, but you guys clearly know your scripture. Well, no, yeah. You see, love actually costs us something. And if it's not costing us something, it's fair to question, is this really love? And it got me thinking about this verse in a different light. I'm like, what if I actually put my, my name into this verse? What would that tell me about my love for the world? And so I read, for Brian so loved the world that he gave. And then it becomes a question, what have I given? What have I done? What am I doing because of my love for the world? And I wonder if you ask the same question, like, well, what, what have you done? And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I mean that in an illuminating way. Like, like what, what have we done? What are we doing? What are we collectively doing? Because here's the thing, friends. People love asking the question, what's God doing about all this? You know, what's God doing about the world? Like I'm seeing all these things on the news. Where is God in that? But God could just as easily flip it on his people and say, like, what are you doing about this? What are we collectively doing this or about this? Because you better believe that God is on the move, but you also better believe that one of the primary ways that God moves is through his people. And so what are we collectively doing? Made me think of this quote from Mr. Rogers because most things make me think of Mr. Rogers because he's just wonderful. He says, when I was a boy and I'd see scary things in the news, my mother would say, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. Today, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words. I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in the world. And friends, it's true. There are so many helpers in the world, but here's what I need you to know. As Christians, we're actually called to do more than look for helpers. We're actually called to be those helpers. 
You know, it got me thinking about even what's going on in Ukraine. Are we just following the news and looking for the helpers? Or are we looking for ways that we can be the hands and feet of God? It got me thinking, instead of looking for God to move, what if we started looking for ways that God could move through us? Not starting tomorrow, but starting today. What, what can we do? What can we give of ourselves towards what we see? How could we be the hands and feet of Jesus? Because God is on the move, but he's on the move a lot of times through his people. And that's one of the reasons why I love Missions Month. I really do. I love Missions Month because it's an opportunity for us to put our faith into action. It's an opportunity for us to partner and to pray in ways that change the lives of people around the world. We are called to love the world. So do we need to love the world? Absolutely, we do. Yes and amen. You know, other people say that we need to start by loving one another. We've got to build up the church. We've got to love our brothers and sisters. And if this is you, man, I have just got to say yes. Like, yes. This is, this is the stuff because how could we ever love the world if we don't even love one another, you know? And it's kind of sad because sometimes Christians, the people that they love to pick on more than anybody else is Christians. And it's kind of sad because sometimes Christians, the, the people that they judge and the people that they are divided against are actually Christians. And if we can't even get along with the people who believe in the same God that we do, how are we ever going to be the light on the hill that we were created to be? Amen? Scripture says in John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, this is how, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. And then if he hadn't said it enough already, he said, if you love one another. By this, by our love of one another, the world will see the love of God. So in other words, if you want the world to see, if you want the world to experience, if you want the world to actually encounter God, we need to love one another. We need to care for one another. We need to build one another up. Why? Because what we share as believers is so much greater than anything that we differ on. I mean, I'm going like, to actually invite you to say amen if you believe this. But the love of Jesus is bigger than any politic. The love of Jesus is bigger than any preference. The love of Jesus is bigger than any opinion or any disagreement or any frustration or any Facebook post that you have seen. The love of God is bigger than anything that we use to divide ourselves. We're not called to cut one another down. We're actually called to build one another up and we're called to oneness in the one God who is able to save. This is our call. So do we need to love one another? Absolutely, we do. Yes. Yes. You know, some people say we need to start by loving God. Because if we're not loving God, if we're not connected to God, if we're not trusting and worshiping and enjoying God, then how could we ever love one another in a way that actually reflects him to the world? And man, if that's you, I've just got to say yes. Like, come on, this is the stuff that we need. I am about that. Sign me up, please. Scripture says that our greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I'm going to read it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then, and only then, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. We actually have to start with the love of God. That's actually what enables us to love our neighbor. 
You see, there's actually a direction, there's a flow, there's a rhythm, there's an actual order to the love that we were created. And as Christians, if we want to be known for our love, we need to actually be connected to the source of love. Our first love needs to be God. Friends, we need to love God, not like God, not have mild interest in spirituality. No, we need to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our strengths, and with all our minds. And every other love is just an overflow of that love that we have for God. So who in here is convinced we need more love for God? We need to love God. But friends, I've, 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 I've got to tell you, the love of God can't be where we start. And, and, and the love of one another can't be where we start. And the love of the world can't be where we start. It just can't. If that's where we start, we will never make it on the long haul. I, I want to submit to you, friends, that there's a different place that we could start. And it's not our love of God, it's actually God's love of us. And if we're not rooted in that, if we're not grounded in that, if we're not compelled by that, if we're not moved and transformed by that, then there is no way that we could ever love God or love one another or love the world. It says in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved. Which means, friends, we are not love initiators, we are not love creators, we are love responders. We are love responders to the great love that's been shown to us. And friends, we're so quick to forget what this story is really about. It's not about us. It's about God. And in Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says, as for you, it's talking about all of us. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And this is where I always go back to because for the longest time, this is what was missing in my understanding of who God was and who I was and who the church was and what all of this was about. You know, growing up, like when I got into stuff, I just thought I was bad. And that was bad enough for me because I was a people pleaser and I wanted to be better. And so I thought the church was the place the bad people went to get better and God would help you go from bad to better. But the issue with that is that the Bible doesn't actually say that we're bad. It actually says that it's worse than that. Scripture actually says that we were dead. And I don't know what you know about dead people, but if you're dead, you've got some issues. You got some serious problems. You've got some serious hurdles to overcome because what that means is you don't even have a voice that you can cry out for help with. What that means is you don't have the power in your system to actually raise your hand. So your story isn't that you were bad and God made you better. Your story is that you were dead. You were an object of God's wrath and there was nothing that you could do about it. But then verse four is the greatest verse. Because it says, but God, being rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved you. Even while you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith so that none can boast. And so it's God's love towards us, not our love towards God that saves us. And this changes everything. You see, this means that all of the choosing and all of the power and all of the glory and all of the credit and all of the focus is not on us. It's actually on God. He is the hero of our story. So our story isn't that we were bad and Jesus made us better. Our story is that we were spiritually dead. We had nowhere to go and we had no voice to call out with. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us, actually made us alive. 
and he lifted us high. And I don't know about your story. My story is I couldn't even lift my hand, but Jesus lifted it for me. You see, it wasn't my love of him that saved me. It was his love for me. Because Jesus did all of the capturing and all of the pursuing and all of the loving that transformed my soul. And because of his love, I can now love. I can now sacrifice. I can now see people hurting. I can now move towards issues and actually say, I have experienced this love and I want to give it. You know, I want to close with this thought that I heard this week from Pastor Judah Smith. And he said, friends, I think we're way too hung up on the fact that that there's so many people out there who don't love God. You know, maybe you've heard people like me, preachers, or just people saying, you know, we, we, we need more people to love God. Like, like that's what's going to change this place, is if more people love God. And I get that, and I understand it, and I agree with it on some level, but I believe that that's the complete backwards way to go about it. I think people are going about it all wrong. Honestly, I'm not all that worried about that side of the street because my job and our job and everybody's job isn't to make sure that everybody loves God. Our job is to make sure that everybody knows that God loves them. That's our side of the street. We get to declare that God loves you. I have the greatest news in the world for you, whoever you are. God loves you. God loves you. And what you do with that is between you and him. But I'm telling you with full confidence, God loves you. And I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe you hate God, but I've got really good news for you. God loves you. And maybe you don't believe in God. I've got really good news for you. God loves you. And maybe you're somebody who thinks that God is just a concept invented by humans that were too weak to cope with the reality of the world. And if that's you, I've got really good news today. God loves you. And when you grab hold of that reality, it changes everything in our lives because our lives just become this opportunity to say and ask the question, what am I going to do with this extraordinary, extravagant, remarkable gift that I had no business getting, but God lavished on me so freely the gift of God's love that changed everything for me. Life just becomes the question, what am I going to do about this? And you might say, but yeah, Brian, I don't completely understand all of that. Well, I've got really good news for you if you don't understand all of it today. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And his love is relentless. His love is infinite. His love is directed towards you today. There's nothing that you have to do to earn it. His love is pointed at you with full fierceness. There's no future version of yourself that God loves any more than he loves you right now as you listen to these words. I've got great news for you if you're listening today. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, God loves you. And this is the good news of the gospel, that your feelings about God don't change God's feelings about you. So wherever you're at on this journey, it does not affect God's feelings towards you. You are loved. And so now we get to wrestle with, oh my gosh, what can we do for the world? What can we do for one another? What can I do to show God God's love? But it always is stemmed in and rooted in and absolutely enveloped by a deep understanding of the fact that we love because God first loved us.
And friends, you can love pizza. Lord knows I do. You could love coffee, you can love fresh socks, you can love the other side of the pillow, but this is what I need you to know for sure. There is one love that can save. It's not the love of pizza. It's not the love of coffee. It's not the love of the other side of the pillow. It's not even our love for God. It's God's love for us. So let's start there. There is one love. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. I repeat, this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of your work so that none can boast. So friends, I'll say it again. This is not about you. It is about him. And because of his love, we can now love him. Because of his love, we are now one. And because of his love, we get to wrestle with what can we do for the world? For, for Brian so gave, what am I going to do with the gift that I've been given? How can I reciprocate? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and in my neighborhood and even in my relationship with God? What offering of praise can I lift up to him because of his love for me? But let's never forget that we love because he first loved us. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just come before you today thankful because there is one God who saves. There is one love, God, that allows us to cut through and to see your true heart for us. God, there is one hope that's not dictated by the circumstances of this world. God, there is one life that we've been called to. God, there is one church that we're being called to be. God, that reflects in all of our diversity the beauty of your love. God, that no matter who is enveloped in this room, God, that we are all enveloped by your grace. And that is what binds us and knits us together as one. God, we're so thankful that there is one who cares. There is one who sees. There is one who loves, that there's nothing that we have to do. God, that it's just pointed directly at me and at you. So God, we rest in that in this moment. We say thank you. Change our hearts and embolden us to go take this out. God, would it not just be some conversation about love that makes us feel good? Would it be some conversation about love that actually drops something in our stomach and makes us realize that we need to move into action because of the action that you've taken towards us? We love you, Lord. This is all for you. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen, church. So one of the things I